My name's Tim, and I know I might be a stranger to some of you. Um, I've just been gone for a few weeks, but I'm glad to be back. So if you've been here for three weeks as a guest three weeks ago, and I haven't been, and I'm strange to you, uh, that's okay. I, uh, um, I'm actually a pastor here uh, at Grace, and I'm uh, glad to be a pastor, and just super, super glad you came, and now that I'm up here, I haven't seen anyone get up and leave yet, which is good. We're going to start studying the book of John this morning, so if you want to take your scriptures and, and go there, uh, that would be great. Um, I, had, um, I had to take a daughter back to college, then my son had somewhat of a traumatic injury in football last fall. He got poked in the eye in fall camp, and his retina was torn, he was going blind in his right eye and he lost his football season last year and his first game back on the field was in Arkansas so my wife and I thought it would be important to be there for him for his first game back so we were and last week I had the opportunity to speak to some sweet folks up in Michigan so um, I wasn't playing hooky I think I did some intentional things and I appreciate your willingness to uh, to allow me to, to focus uh, on my family like that and and to, to help out another, another church uh, in Michigan. Uh, Sally, it's good to see you back after a long time away recovering. It's good to see you, and uh, it's, it's great to see everybody. Uh, Nick, we're daily praying for Carrie, and um, we'll continue to do that. And, uh, Carol writes a super nice note here uh, from her and Mark. She wants to express her gratitude to the Lord for so richly blessing us with um, an amazing church family. I agree with that. Um, we've been overwhelmed by the great outpouring of love, care, prayers, and heartfelt concern for us during this recent health journey. The cards, meals, texts, emails, and prayers have indeed served to uphold and encourage and carry us through this time of growth and testing. Please know how very loved and appreciated you all are to us. Thank you for being such sweet examples of true Christ-like love and service. Mark and Carol, so thank you for those thoughts. Uh, tremendously encouraging to us. Uh, let's ask God's blessing on our journey through the book of John here as we seek to do a bit of an overview this week and next. Right. Father in heaven, we need your help. As we take this portion of your word and, and seek to uh, properly explain it and teach it and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Whenever I seek to journey into a new book study, I like to, to read a lot about what others have said about that book. And um, so I get uh, my digital tools and I get my books and we just kind of dig in and dive deep and figure out what's appropriate for us to know from God's word in relationship to a particular author and what he writes and why he writes it. Um, John is known as the most theological gospel writer. As a matter of fact, which we'll get to not next week, 
But the third time we're together over the book of John, we, we come to the prologue of John where he dives right into, at the beginning part of the book, the theology of Christ, the nature of Christ. And Alistair Begg says on his overview of the book of John, Jesus of Nazareth was no mere moralist. He says that John decisively illustrates that Jesus was not even just simply a good teacher or prophet or a good man. He was the God-man or God-made man, the eternal one who holds the universe together and, and he walked among us. That's who we're going to study. And John deals very quickly with the theology of Christ as to his nature and his person and then his work. But for this week and, and next, we're going to give you an overview of the book that hopefully will help us allow us to understand it uh, a little bit better. Um, for some reason, I wasn't able to get out to the state of California until I was, uh, until actually recent years. Uh, growing up, all of us hear about the wonderful, beautiful spots in that state. Unfortunately, my first few experiences with the state of California were mostly Orange County. And um, I had always heard about traffic in various cities being difficult. Um, I, 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 guess, I guess maybe I underestimated how difficult it could be, especially in Orange County. Uh, so, th so thankfully, someone developed the Waze app. Um, and the Waze app uh, is the best that uh, can navigate you around traffic in, in difficult spots. And, and um, we used Waze when we were out there. Uh, but Waze also can take you through some places that you probably normally wouldn't plan on driving through. Uh, and I can remember the first time I used that app was with, was with my family, and we were being taken into some places that were a bit spooky. And uh, even Waze got lost. <laughs> and so when Waze gets lost, you know you're really lost. We had to stop and ask for some directions, and I can remember where we stopped, and I got out. I had all of them unlock the doors, um, duck down below the glass so no one could see in the car. And I walked into a facility, and I said, uh, I really don't know where I'm at, and neither does my navigation system. So can you tell me how to get here? And um, after a few moments of thinking through whether they were going to tell me or not, they, they sought to help me, and I was thankful for that. A few more times visiting that part of our country, uh, becoming uh, even more confused, uh, getting around. Uh, it wasn't really all straightened out for me until last year, around New Year's Day, my son's team was playing in the Rose Bowl. And uh, we were downtown L.A., and it was kind of cool. We stayed in the hotel where a large portion of the movie Interstellar was, was filmed. And I could actually see optically uh, going back and watching the movie. That's not what we're here to talk about. But anyways, we stayed really, really, really high, uh, one of the top floors of this particular hotel. And... Um, it was amazing for me to be up high and to see the perspective, see the landscape of Orange County. Uh, 
see, it was super, super clear. You could see all the way up and down the coast, and you could see those popular, beautiful places like La Jolla and Santa Monica. And, and uh, it was just great to be up top and to, to see the perspective way off in the distance, miles away. You could see the new Los Angeles Rams, a multi-billion dollar stadium. It was just great to be up high and to get a perspective. And when I came down from that hotel, it actually made me getting around, this is how my brain works, a little bit easier because I had that perspective. That's what an overview of a book does. For some of us that are a little bit more perfectionistic in the way we approach the Bible, which is nothing wrong with that, overviews can have a tendency to bother a little bit uh, because you don't think that it's going deep enough. But I want to encourage you, overviews are necessary to get a perspective, and they're really going to allow us to, when we get into the chapter-by-chapter chapter discussion of the book of John, understand it, uh, even better. Okay? So, what about the author of the book of John? Well, what's interesting about the book of John is we know he wrote it, but his name is not mentioned in it as the author. He's the only gospel writer that that's the case. But to clarify our understanding that we know that he wrote it, there was an early church leader named Arrhenius. And Arrhenius was a disciple of another man named Polycarp. And Polycarp was actually a direct disciple of the Apostle John. And Polycarp testified that he knew, to Arrhenius, that he knew that John had written the fourth gospel during his temporary residence in Ephesus during the uh, sunset years of his life on this earth. Even later, Jewish historian Eusebius wrote that Clement of Alexandria taught that John wrote the fourth gospel and that it was indeed a spiritual work that greatly influenced the early church. Not that we need any other proof that John was the author, but within the book, six times, John refers to himself as, or others refer to him as, the disciple, and you can finish it, whom Jesus loved. Right? Six times. This is important for two reasons. John's known as a quiet, humble, and compassionate writer. He has no problem using the proper names of other disciples and gospel writers in his own gospel, but he would rather use a term of endearment in reference to himself instead of his proper name, so that Christ would be lifted up as he should be in his own mind and in the minds and hearts of others. As one author said, John is just simple, reflecting his humility as he celebrates his relationship to his Lord Jesus. Matthew tells us that John and his brother James were known as the sons of Zebedee, Jesus gave them the name Sons of Thunder in the book of Mark. Luke defines John as an apostle in Luke chapter 6. John was also one of the three most intimate associates with Jesus during his earthly ministry. John writes of his own spiritually close relationship with Christ. And I would have you cross-reference in the top of 
the beginning of the book of John in your Bible, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There is no more spiritually intimate or romantic language, so to speak, used of any Bible writer in describing their own personal knowledge of and relationship and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's the first of three epistles or letters that John also wrote towards the end of your New Testament. After Christ's ascension, we know that John became quite a leader in the church of Jerusalem. We find that out from Galatians chapter 2. We see him ministering with Peter all throughout the book of Acts. And most believe he moved on to Ephesus where he wrote the book, the gospel of John, even before Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus in A.D. 70. From, emphasis, from Ephesus, the Roman government, uh, what we know is that he, they exiled him to Patmos, the island of Patmos, where John would have written the book of Revelation as his final work. The book of Revelation, as you know, is also the final book of our Bibles. And as the final gospel writer, John would have been able to write with a unique bird's eye view of the life of Christ, having been made quite familiar with the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are also called the synoptic gospels, John writes with what he feels is a necessary perspective of the life of Jesus. John supplied quite a bit of material not found in the other three synoptic gospels. So John offers information that kind of helps us fill in the gaps, so to speak, and understand more clearly the first three gospels in doing so. One example. While the first three gospels begin with Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and imply that Jesus, they also imply that Jesus had a prior ministry to his ministry in Galilee. John tells us the answer with information on Jesus' previous ministry in John chapter 3 and in John chapter 4, where he describes his previous to Galilee ministry in Judea and also Samaria. In Mark chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus urged the disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida. John gives the reason why. The people were about to make Jesus king because of his miracles, especially the feeding of the 5,000, the five loaves and two fish, and he was avoiding their efforts to do so. John chapter 6 tells us. John is also known as the most theological gospel, as we've also mentioned, already mentioned. He has no explanation of the birth of Christ because he knows the other three have quite comprehensive treatment of the incarnation of the Savior. But his heavy theological section that we already mentioned that we'll be looking at three weeks from now in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, it begins his gospel as a clear message of the eternal nature of Jesus from the outset of his writing. John writes of the necessity also of being born again. You're not going to find that language in the synoptics. Literally born from above. 
John writes of one author said a new birth or a heavenly birth. We know that from John chapter 3, right, in his famous conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew that Jesus was speaking of a spiritual birth or a birth from heaven. Jesus actually rebuked him for his selective ignorance. Jesus reminds Nicodemus that everyone has a physical birthday, but everybody must have a birthday from heaven of a spiritual kind. Unless a man is born again, he, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. John also identifies the deity of Jesus as well by including Jesus' descriptive description of himself as the I am. 23 times in this short gospel. In seven of those I am statements, Jesus describes his nature by offering to us a simple way to understand it, to know him by attaching a temporal metaphor to his eternal personhood. You're familiar with these. I am the bread of life. John chapter 6. John chapter 8. I'm the light of the world. Chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. In the same chapter, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, the graveside of his good friend Lazarus, he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For many of us, and I wonder how many, if we took a, a survey this morning, how many would say God used John chapter 14 and verse 6 to prove to me that I needed Jesus when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. And of course, we know that the I am statements of Christ were exclusive statements of his own deity. It's profound to me, simply profound to me, that he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, but when referring to Christ, he refers to Christ as to his eternal nature, that he was indeed the God-man. And Jesus would have referenced himself as the I Am. And everyone around him listening would have Remember Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is kind of duking it out with God himself, giving all the excuses in the book while he's the last guy on the list that should be chosen to lead the Israelites out of captivity. And you remember his excuse list, and God says what? When Moses asks him, who am I going to tell them has sent me to lead them out of the bondage of Egypt? And God says, tell them what? I am has sent you. So Yahweh, translated in the Gospels as Kurios, Lord, is Jesus Christ. He's the great I Am. John also writes with larger narratives compared to the synoptics that lends themselves to tremendous theological conclusions, and we're going to enjoy those together as we study this book. And John has the most material of any gospel when it comes to information about the Holy Spirit. Profound 
sections of scripture in chapter 14 and chapter 16 he writes more than any other gospel writer on the third person of the godhead the holy spirit john was very clear to make sure that what he wrote was under the spiritual influence of heaven and we'll see that in chapter 1 and chapter 19 and also chapter 21 We'll add a few more overview observations next time we're together, but let's focus on something of a more specific nature for the rest of our time here this morning. How many of you have directed someone that you're witnessing to to read the Gospel of John? How many of us have directed someone who just was born again to read the book of John? How many of us, when our hearts are discouraged, naturally go to the book of John to find solace and encouragement? Why, why do freshman Greek students in seminary first cut their teeth on translating the book of John? It's because John writes very simply. He writes very simply. He's the easiest author of the New Testament to understand. But he also writes the most theologically. That can be hard for us to kind of bring the simplicity and the profundity and allow them to kiss each other. But John's writing does that. And we'll see that together. Someone has said also that what Psalms is to the Old Testament, John is to the New Testament. When we are experiencing a time of great joy or personal excitement, it's easy to go to the book of Psalms and, and be immediately encouraged by the psalmist who's there. When we're at our lowest, it's easy to go to the book of Psalms and find encouragement when we're looking up at the bottom of the barrel, not at the bottom of the barrel. We go to the Gospel of John, we can find truth that ministers to the needs of our soul, whether we're in a time of elation or a time of exasperation. I was just talking to someone in the, in the fellowship hall this morning, and they asked, how, how was my week? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, it's been a long time since I've experienced such high highs and such low lows, right? And here we are preaching on a gospel that uh, knows specifically how to uh, address us at, at both times. John, in the way he writes, is a refuge. It's a harbor. The way he writes ministers to the grieving and to the dying and John is a, is a marvelous word of hope. I believe all the Lord allowed all writers, like John, to write via their own personality. And for John, it seems to be he's a person that was closest to Christ and knew how to take full advantage of those moments of spiritual ecstasy 
in his walk with his Savior. But he also had a tremendous burden for a parent who had a crippled son or a family near and dear to the heart of Christ who had lost a brother in Lazarus. This is who he is, and this is why he wrote. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, said this of the Gospel of John, Never before in my life have I read a book written in simpler words than this, and yet there are words inexpressible. I hope our hearts are encouraged as we journey through it. And this is how John wrote, simply but profoundly. I want you go over to John chapter 20 at this point. John chapter 20. I think it's important in our overview of the book of John to understand that John is the only gospel writer among the four that explicitly tells us why he wrote the book. When you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got to study the whole of the book to figure out the reason why the author wrote. Obviously, Matthew is of Jewish origin, right? And he had a specific audience that was the Jew. And he wanted to present to the Jewish audience that Jesus Christ was the king that they were looking for. He is King Jesus, but the true King Jesus didn't arrive on earth his first time to set himself up as king, but you arrived on earth the first time to set himself up as savior. There was going to be a cross before the kingdom. And that's why Matthew writes. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Matthew, that's why Matthew has the most references to the Old Testament compared to any other gospel writer, because he's writing to Jewish people. If you read the book of Mark, you've got to really do the same thing in a biblical, theological kind of way. You've got to read the whole book numerous times, and, and the purpose for why Mark wrote to present Christ as servant to mankind emerges as you study the whole of the book, and the same with Luke. Luke has the most extensive, intimate writing of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2 that many of us memorized as kids in Sunday school and that we all read before our families on Christmas morning, right? Because Luke, Dr. Luke, physician Luke, wanted to present Jesus Christ as fully man. Jesus is the son of man. And if you're really struggling, making your way through life as a person, Luke is a great gospel to meditate upon. And you can see how the Lord Jesus, as a man, persevered through his personal and public ministry. But John is the only author that specifically details for us why he wrote. And he just simply describes Jesus profoundly as the eternal Son of God. John writes of Jesus, as one author put it, as undiminished deity. Undiminished deity. Look with me at chapter 20 and verse 31. Here's his declared statement for writing this fourth gospel. 
But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The NIV says, but these are written, very similar, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, let's go back one verse. When he says here in verse 30, but these have been written, we have to find out what's the these. It's defined for us in verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. The these are the signs, and the signs are the these. The signs that Jesus performed were his acts of supernatural power. We would call them his miracles. There were so many that he performed that no book had enough pages to record the events of Christ's miracles. Jesus was indeed undiminished deity that performed miracles as the Son of God. And these were written, so what does the text say? That people might believe. That people might believe. There are seven specific, unique miracles that John records to demonstrate to us that Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter 2, he changes the water to wine, his first public miracle, to teach us that Jesus is the God who is the source of life. In chapter 4, he heals the nobleman's son to teach us that Jesus is even the master over distance. He's the omnipresent, omniscient Son of God. In chapter 5, he heals a lame man, Bethesda, teaching us that Jesus is God over time. God over time. In chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000, teaching us that he is the spiritual nourishment, the, the, the literal bread of life that your soul needs for ultimate eternal satisfaction and filling. In chapter 6, he walks on water, teaching us that Jesus is the Son of God and master over all of nature. Next, he heals the blind man from birth, teaching us that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the Father of lights. If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. And we know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from James chapter 1, the Father of creation, literally the Father of lights. A blind man that has congenital blindness, in the middle years of his life, his eyes are open, He's immediately astonished by something that's uniquely Jesus, light. God is light, 1 John says, and in him is no darkness at all. And in chapter 11, we've already referenced Christ raising Lazarus from the dead and teaching us that Jesus is the Son of God who has power 
over death. And if you'll go with me to chapter 11, keep your finger in chapter 20, we'll go back there again, but in John chapter 11, there's something mentioned four times in three verses that I think would be a good segue for us to our next section of study here as to the declared purpose of John's writing in chapter 20 and verse 31. Remember, Jesus is having a dialogue with Lazarus' family and friends. And in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live, but even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And she identifies him as he is, the, the Son of God. I think it's very important as you go back to John chapter 20, that we emphasize again here in verse 31, but these miracles have been written, these specific ones in the book that the Spirit of God inspired me to write. I am choosing these signs uniquely by the Spirit of God's help for one purpose. There's something about these signs, these miracles, and we'll go back and we'll highlight this through uh, the explanation of each event. That if they're understood and you're willing in your mind and your heart by the grace of God to submit to the authority of what's written about these signs and miracles, there's something unique about these that compels the unbelieving human heart to believe that Jesus is who he says he is that Jesus is who John writes him to be doesn't it say that these are written so that you might believe that you might believe 98 times in 21 chapters believe is mentioned in one gospel John incorporates over one third the amount of times that that word's used in the whole New Testament there's something unique about Jesus that John wants the reader and the hearer to know that he is eternally God and what he's done before your eyes is to compel you to see the sign, but to stop looking at the sign and to look up to Christ as your Savior. What does it mean to believe? Well, you've got to have some facts put before you. And those facts kind of challenge your mind and get you thinking and the Holy Spirit takes those facts and begins to, 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 to convict or persuade your heart to own those facts as true, like it says, as exclusively true. And as your heart is more compelled by grace to own them, we come to the point of faith 
We call that saving faith, where your intellect is challenged by facts and the Spirit of God and grace persuades your heart to own those facts, right? And the crowning moment of the born-again experience is, I hear the facts, my heart's convicted, and it's time for me now to own them. That's what believing really means here. It means to personally commit myself or really abandon myself to the witness of those facts. And we acknowledge these facts about Jesus and the word of God, that they're true. And we place then, by grace, our faith as we turn from our sin unto the Son of God that came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We place our faith, turn from our sin, and we put our hope exclusively in Jesus in whom we believe. I would just encourage you, Rabbi, a question. Have you had that moment in your life? There's a reason why so many kids that are taught the gospel when they're little, right? And as they grow up, right, they begin to to wander and they wonder why they're wandering. And then they begin to, to journey into a lifestyle that is certainly not a lifestyle that Christ lived. And, and they're looking back over their shoulders like, I'm way out here and I see all these people over here that are living differently than I'm living. I heard the same facts. I've got the same data and the same information about Jesus, who is the Son of God. And why hasn't it changed the way I live? Because maybe you never understood what it meant to believe. Intellectual assent to the facts of who Jesus is, the Son of God, will not change your life. It's the beginning unto that. But your heart must surrender with reckless abandon to the realities of who he's described to be in the book of John and in the word of God. And when you're you're ready to throw your heart under the submission of his lordship and truly be released from the bondage of your sin and your own pride and finding it your own way, then you'll understand what it means to be what Jesus says in John 3, born again. And, And your life will change. Your life will change. There are people that I have been witnessing to for years, and I'm sure you're in the same boat if you've known Jesus for a long time. And and you still stay friends with these people because you're going to love these people whether they come to know Jesus or not, right? They're our friends, right? So, but there are some, they're just like, you live for a long time, even decades, and you're like, you know, We've talked about the Lord Jesus before and, 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 and you haven't, haven't responded to him yet as Lord and, and is it time yet? Are you ready to do that yet? And some of them you just, you kind of grow humanly tired a little bit about rehearsing the same message and giving the same ask, are you ready? And for those who are my friends, you know what I keep telling them to do? Just go back and read the book of John again. And when you're done, if you don't believe yet, Go read it again. (laughs) And if you're still not there yet, go read it again. 
Because Jesus is presented as the Son of God and the signs he did so that you would believe. That you would believe. You know, Jesus was never out to gain the approval of man. He was out to be the savior of mankind, but he was not out to win opinion polls or to want to take polls of what people thought about him. You know, Jesus never said, hey, what'd you think about that? That, that was kind of cool what I just did there. I mean, you saw, you saw this like five loaves and these two fish and like, there's like over 10,000 people here and, and each one gets to go home with a to-go box. I mean, I mean, you did see that. What did you think of that? That was, that was pretty ripe. I mean, that was, that was, I'm, that was present. Like that, you, you don't get better than that, right? When he walks on the water, chapter 6, he's, he doesn't ask his disciples, so you did see what I just did there. I mean, I said like, be still and like it was like a it's like a pond water i mean it was no ripples it was like glass and you guys did see that would you think jesus wasn't about that he didn't want that type of approval or approval rating he he came to be known and john says i'm going to kind of fill this in as the other gospels don't but i writing about Jesus this way helps you understand the other gospels a little bit better. He came as the son of God to do these miracles so that you might believe that he is indeed the son of God. That's why Jesus never asked, what'd you think about my miracle? When he asked a question, he says, what? Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And until each of us draws the circle around ourselves, and ask that same question and allows Christ to ask us that question. Who do you think Jesus is? Then we'll be coming a little bit closer to understanding the purpose as to why John wrote. Right? Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity just to briefly journey through part of this overview of the Gospel of John. We thank you for the Spirit of God and His inspiration of the Apostle John and the sunset years of his life to write something to us that is such practical help, whether we're at great times of joy or great times of grieving. But we're so thankful for the theological depth, the simple understanding of theology from the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God. I pray, Lord, as we go through this, as Philippians asks, that we would all work out our salvation with fear and trembling, all who are here. And specifically, Lord, quite possibly be someone here and throughout our journey the book of John that is yet to recognize Jesus for who he is and, and to admit for themselves as to why he came. And I pray the Spirit of God would specifically burden their hearts to believe as they hear of who he is and why he came. In Christ's name, amen.